This is The Culture Code with Kevin Cruz, founder and CEO of LeadX, the platform that helps you scale and sustain a high-performance culture. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome back to Culture Code. I'm super excited. Our guest today, he is the Chief People Officer of Zapier, Brandon Samut. Brandon, welcome. And where are you joining from today? Hey, thanks, Kevin. I'm joined from Berkeley, California, USA. So, Brandon, I'm normally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but I've been in uh, San Jose for a couple of weeks. And so enjoying the nice weather. There was a couple of um, air alert days, but I'm just looking outside at the mountains and everything. And so I'm glad to be on your West Coast. It's awesome to be here. Welcome. So let's just start with Zapier's. Anyone in tech obviously is familiar with your organization, but for those you know who might not be, Tell us in plain language, what do you guys do? How big are you? Tell us a little bit about the company. Zapier is a 12-year-old company that started all remote and still operates that way today. We have about 800 folks in over 40 countries working together on one mission, uh, which is to make automation work for everyone. And practically speaking, that means that we build and scale automation platform that enables folks without having to write any code at all. Uh, to build automations and abstract a lot of the tedium out of their and their organization's day-to-day work so that the team can spend more time doing the things that humans do best. So this is pretty remarkable because fostering great culture is, I don't believe, ever easy, but also in a remote environment and uh, growing as fast as, as Zapier has grown. Let me challenge you because cultures can be kind of hard to pinpoint, but like, how would you describe your culture to an outsider such as myself? I think that Zapier's values describe our culture best. I don't know that they're the complete definition of our culture, but I think they represent the lion's share of it. And uh, Zapier has five values. Uh, They've been consistent for many, many years. And they are, first, default to action. Two, default to transparency. Three, empathy over ego. Four, grow through feedback. And five, very relevant to our mission, build the robot. And so if you put that into plain speak, like what is, you know, when Zapier is at our best, like what's the look and feel of how people are engaging with each other and how the work's getting done? You can just plain speak the values, right? Zapier's culture at its best is a place where folks default to action and default to transparency while indexing for empathy over ego, growing through feedback and building the robot. That's very clear. And I think surprisingly clear, given all, all the chief people officers that I talked to, it's very clear. And I imagine, so a new joiner comes into Zapier, part of orientation, of course, comes the values and things, but what else are you doing to make sure you're sustaining that throughout the organization, even among tenured colleagues? Absolutely. Well, Kevin, I agree. It starts actually even before folks join the company. The experience of getting to know Zapier as a candidate for one of our jobs is where we really start normalizing and aligning on culture. And one of the reasons why we find it so helpful to do it at that point is because we get to have an alignment moment. Zapier for well over 90% of the folks that join the company are joining their first all remote company. They may have worked remotely a little bit during COVID or even for you know a year and a half or up to two years, but there's a difference between being thrust into a remote environment for a temporary season and going to work at a company that is all remote, will be all remote, and has always operated in that way. It's had, you know, at this point, 12 years to you know learn about this. And we're always learning about what it means to operate in this environment. We're not done yet either. And so as a candidate, 
again, this is where default for transparency comes in. You just want a lot of context. What is it like to work at a place like Zapier? And, you know, Zapier and the all remote model, it's not the perfect match for every person. And that's actually okay for both people involved. For us, we feel really accountable for providing that information so that folks can make an informed decision about whether they want to continue getting to know us and potentially come work at Zapier. So it actually starts before folks take the job. Now, when folks have their first day at Zapier, we have it's an unusually rigorous onboarding experience. And that's driven by exactly what you were getting at, which is the fact that the company is all remote and it's you know almost everyone's first all remote company. And so we do two weeks of intensive onboarding, including around a lot of the norms, like how does work actually get done? How do we communicate with each other across you know almost every conceivable time zone in the world, for example? That's great for the first two weeks. But one of the really neat things, and I experienced this firsthand when I joined Zapier, is that we actually trickle out a lot of kind of just-in-time ongoing onboarding content for the first six months. Hmm. So onboarding at Zapier really is a six-month experience. And interestingly, we use a lot of Zapier to automate those those moments so that folks are getting that information you know, when it's timely rather than all at once and you can kind of lose track of it. I was taking so many notes on that because uh, at LeadX, we're all about Overcoming the the knowing doing gap, you know, it's like so much of whether it's new hire uh, orientation or training program, so much of that is left on the on the scrap room floor and not applied. And this idea of spreading it out over six months, it seems really um, powerful. And Brandon, I want to go off script a little bit because I mean it, it's interesting. The hottest topic still right now in HR uh, human capital is this whole bringing people back into the office? Do we do two, three days hybrid, remote first, et cetera? I mean, do you just find those conversations and questions sort of cute because you've been fully remote from before the pandemic? It's just not even an issue, right? That's true. I mean, it's something that we don't have to navigate in quite the same way as Zapier. I have a lot of empathy for that though. You know, my last company where I was also a chief people officer, you know, we were hybrid before COVID and we were navigating what our new normal was going to be like. And so, you know, this is what most management teams are working through today. I got a lot of respect and empathy for that. And, you know, as I've talked with other CEOs and chief people officers and companies that are working through this, the things that seem to differentiate the teams that are having a pretty good go at it and the ones that are struggling. Actually, again, you're going to hear me say the word alignment a lot because <laughs> I think that's where most of this actually hits the road. Again, I don't know that there's any one work style model, whether it's all remote or hybrid, you know, all in one city or globally distributed, uh, that is objectively the right model. It's just not the case. This is about matching. Right. Just like we're trying to match, yeah. you know, candidates to jobs and folks who already work here to new opportunities to grow in the company. This workplace model thing is also ultimately a matching exercise. And so the teams that I see having the most success actually start with like deep alignment on the management team. You know, you might not be surprised, but some folks may be surprised at how many management teams don't agree on what to do. And one saying that uh, a mentor gave to me that I really hold on to is, you know, the level of alignment within an organization can never be greater than the level of alignment within the management team. And so if the management team isn't aligned on something like its return to office approach kind of leaves the room as it were not aligned, then it just gets more and more messy, you know, from that point throughout the organization. That's really powerful. And I'm going to encourage you to keep coming back to that theme of alignment because I can see this is going to be a theme for our interview. And I want to shift gears a little bit because I'm passionate about leadership development and I'm actually passionate about employee engagement and culture, but Gallup research, LeadX research shows that about 70% of the variance in engagement has to do with who our manager is. And so in a, in a company with 
you know, roughly 800 people. You probably have 100, 120 people managers who are really the ones that you're entrusting with sustaining great culture. So big companies have often teams of people doing leadership development. You know, they've got programs for everybody and all the time. You're a little bit of a, of a smaller organization. So how are you supporting or developing your managers? Well, you mentioned, you know, how larger companies typically have a, a larger team dedicated to this. Zapier, and this is, uh, again, credit to the team from before I joined, had already made an unusually large investment in learning and development, including leadership development. Again, Zapier has just under 800 people today. We have a seven-person learning and development team. Wow. And we have a lot of really good companies, great companies who do some really nice work in L&D, who for a company of their size might have a two, maybe three-person L&D team. Part of the reason we invested this deeply early on is because of the all remote model and all of the additional normalizing, training, nudging, coaching that we think needs to take place to make an all remote model really work in practice, not just in name. So that's thing one. And then as it relates to kind of manager enablement slash leadership development, there are a couple things. One, and this is another like alignment, alignment moment, being a manager isn't for everyone. And so, you know, we've given some real thought to like, why do people, you know, kind of develop an attraction to becoming a manager? And when we kind of listen and really talk with folks, you hear some things that actually are super helpful and on point. Like, hey, I, I think like coaching and developing people is like, gives me a ton of energy. Amazing. That's an interesting signal that a management track might be really good for you. And you might be really good for the people that you're going to lead. Uh, but sometimes you hear things like, you know, at XYZ company, the only way to get a meaningful pay increase is to be on the management track. Or on the management track, you get all of these additional learning opportunities. But if I become a, a higher level IC or individual contributor who doesn't manage people, I don't get any of that stuff. It feel, really feels like a two-tiered system in terms of development opportunities. When you hear stuff like that, it makes my ears perk. Let's make sure that that doesn't happen You know, at a place like Zapier. Uh, and then one really practical thing that we do that I had never seen before until I joined Zapier is that before someone applies to a uh, manager role at Zapier, we actually have a bit of like a, I don't know what to call it, like a training or a course. It's like all of this is kind of experience that folks go through. We provide a ton of visibility. So there's a little default transparency moment here about what it's really like to be a manager, especially if you're considering it for the first time. We include some examples of things that like managers tell us like aren't super fun about their jobs, <laughs> you know, if you haven't done it before, as well as some things that, you know, experienced managers like, you know, deeply appreciate about being a manager, for example. And we do that in part so that folks can make an informed decision, right, with more context than they would ordinarily have about whether they want to pursue that track in the first place. So that's the first thing that we do. The second thing that we do to make sure that we're making good matches uh, to folks into manager jobs is making sure that uh, we're providing effectively as many of the same opportunity as possible in the manager track, in the individual contributor track. So specific example, coaching. We provide coaching to everyone in the company. We have a peer coaching program at Zapier, which is actually, again, the first time I've seen something like that. Everyone can get a peer coach at Zapier at all job levels, all roles, all locations. And we also have an entire program designed to train folks to become peer coaches. And so you have this two-way learning opportunity. I can train to become a coach. It can be really meaningful, meaningful for me to coach, but then I can also be coached myself. Now, at more senior levels in the organization, we also have an external coaching program from like kind of professionally certified coaches. And importantly, that's available to everyone at that level and above, regardless of whether you're on the management track or the individual contributor track. And that's just one example of some of the things we're thinking about to make sure that 
virtually all of the same opportunities are available so that folks don't feel compelled to be a manager just to unlock that if an IC role is better for them. And all of that, Kevin, that's just before someone actually becomes a manager. So there's all kinds of other stuff we could talk about if you want to keep going in terms of how we actually then like grow and develop managers themselves. I think it's insightful that you went in the direction you did. And it's a great reminder for our listeners that just like talent really starts before anyone joins the company. And you started there also with like making sure it's the right fit. Same thing for managers. You got to get the right people in the right seats. And also for our listeners, you know, a recurring theme that I'm hearing more and more this year is about this idea of like leadership for all or everyone is a leader and how organizations are trying increasingly to instead of having very limited selective emerging leader programs, just give everybody the tools or the opportunities. And when people inevitably raise the cost question, well, we can't afford to give all that training. We can't afford to do all that. You've just offered a very affordable way through peer coaching that everyone can get these coach-like experiences and their own professional development, which is great. But I want to shift again to when we talk about culture and we were talking, I brought up uh, employee engagement, employee experience. How do you know things are going well? Like, how are you listening to employees? How are you measuring employee voice? You bet. We do it in in a a few different ways. So um, a couple of these are in the category of usual suspects, but they're important, right? And so one of the paradigms that my team and I talk about as it relates to talent and culture work is we try to balance learning up on the like the hot new thing, right, with doing common things uncommonly well, right? Uh, and so the very first thing I would mention here is engagement surveys, right? Common thing uncommonly well is what we aspire to there. Most every company I could think of does some form of this that doesn't make it unhelpful <laughs> just because everyone else is doing it. It's about, well, how are we doing it? And why is that a good fit for our organization and what we're really trying to understand from an outcomes perspective? And so we do engagement surveys. We do two primary ones each year that cover roughly uh, 30 topics. And one of the kind of filters that we use for the questions is, what are we going to do with the answer? If it's more so this way and that way, uh, if it's a really high score or a low score or a score that's mixed depending on department or location or things like that, what is within our influence to do with that data? And are we going to prioritize it if there's something actionable? And if the answers to those questions are yes and yes, then more likely than not, especially if it's related to like one of our talent priorities or company priorities, then it's going to go on the survey. That's a little bit about how we figure out what goes on there in the first place. One thing I've learned, you know, I I used to uh, think that it was, you know, not a great idea to to mix up the questions because you can't track trends. And that is true. When you mix up the questions, you lose the ability to track trends. But I really opened my mind there, which is like, hey, you need to ask the questions that are most relevant to what you need to understand to run and improve the business and tune up the culture. And if that means based on the pace of the business or things that have changed in the market or with your customers and so on, that you need to pull a bunch of topics off and put a bunch of new topics on, then so be it, right? So it's a more forward-looking view rather than like a backwards or trends-based view of what's worth understanding in the first place. So that was a big, like a cool learning moment for me. So engagement surveys are one of the ways that we do this. A connection to manager effectiveness, what we were talking about earlier is that we're fortunate based on how we do the surveys to get manager-specific information. Because to your point, and we ask manager-specific questions. So we ask them questions about how things are going at the company overall, but we also ask questions about how managers are showing up for their people. And then we're able to actually use that data with senior leaders to tailor uh, everything from just like development opportunities or tune-ups to the topics that we want to provide from a leadership development point of view, all the way down to like actual manager interventions, like when something appears to be off the rails and uh, a given manager just needs a lot of help. So that's one way. 
The other thing that I think gets overlooked on the topic of kind of measuring culture, understanding employee experience is honestly just talking with people. Sometimes, like, and I find it to be a powerful combination to match like that big macro structured quantitative tool, like an engagement survey with just being on a listening tour. You know, this is something I learned from a mentor of mine. It's like, just have an evergreen listening tour, you know, Brandon. And I do, again, thanks to an automation that we've set up here at Zapier, I get to meet with two or three of my teammates from all over the world. It's randomized every single week. And we have other leaders that do the same thing. And so that is a, the way that happens is actually very scalable because it's automated. Um, It's not kind of scientific. You want to be thoughtful about any generalizations that you might want to make based on those conversations. But the surveys are great, but they're no substitute for being in like daily and weekly conversation with the people who you're accountable to. Yeah, the value of quantitative as well as qualitative data, it's a great reminder. And I like the way you're really scrutinizing the questions because it seems like too often over time, these engagement surveys, they're just additive. So (laughs) eventually you're asking people 200 questions and yet what is ever done with those answers? And I like what you're saying is, you know, part of the filter, if we're not going to do anything meaningful with it, maybe we don't need the item uh, on the survey. Now, Brand, as you know, this is a short format podcast, so we only have a few minutes here, but I want to hit you with some quick ones. This is sort of a, a fun one. Imagine you could wave a magic wand and send a book or a podcast or something to all your colleagues, and they were guaranteed to read it or to, to listen to it. What might you send them? So the book that I would send to our folks is one I hope that a meaningful amount of our folks read last year because the author of this book, the book is Atomic Habits uh, by James Clear. James is a speaker at our last uh, customer conference. And uh, so some of our folks have read it, some have, but that's the book I would send. And the reason why is because of how like powerful and pragmatic the Atomic Habits paradigm is. And it's been helpful for me too. I can be a perfectionist. And I think a lot of us, whether we call ourselves that or not, can experience a lot of anxiety and work. And this kind of paradigm of Atomic Habits like really breaks down like very small bite, tangible things, like in powerful ideas that we can use that kind of help us shed perfectionism, uh, shed some of the procrastination and, you know, develop these like powerful ways of thinking and doing that can make a big difference over time. And so it's a very, one of the concepts in the book is all around habit stacking and how, as you start to develop a habit in this thing that you can build on it and build on it becomes a bit of a virtuous cycle. One of the um, simple, but it it really did change my life from that book was stacking (laughs) next to my coffee pot are my vitamins. So now all of a sudden, I certainly don't miss my coffee in the morning. (laughs) And so that is anchored to the vitamins, which then triggers other things. I've got a whole morning stack. Shifting gears again, you know, I want to ask, like, what is something that you know now that you wish you knew on like day one when you first became a chief people officer? Or like, what advice would you give to someone just getting into the role? I think a, a really big moment for me is, you know, realizing that no one expects you to know it all. One of the most confidence-inspiring things you can say is that I don't know yet, but here's when and how we're going to go figure it out. And I'll get back to you then. And, you know, I was kind of pulled into my first chief people officer role earlier in career than I was expecting. And, you know, when you have those crucible moments, you know, there can be this temptation like, well, well, I I have to know the things, all the things. I have to have answers to them. And And you really don't. It's not what people expect. They just expect that you will figure it out and you'll be very transparent about the difference between the things you know and the things that you don't. And in your uh, CPO role now, I mean, with all the craziness in the world, the economy that we're all faced with, but also the unique things inside Zapier, 
Like, what are you focused on for the year ahead, you and your your team? Sure. There's one uh, strategic level thing I'll mention, and then one thing within it that I think is worth mentioning, actually, based on what we're doing at Zapier overall with our customers. So the number one theme for Zapier as it relates to talent is what we call growing our talent density. And what does that mean? Well, that means that every single person in the company has an unusually specific and impactful role, as well as the context and the tools that they need to do it at a high level. And if that sounds simple in words, I think it kind of is in words, but it's a rare and special thing if you actually pull it off. And that's why we're going after it. And I think it's a really nice match for Zapier in particular, because we're in the business of automating the stuff that humans often don't like to do anyway, right? So it's like, you know, we use a lot of Zapier at the company, and that's one way that we can grow talent density, but there are all these other things that we're working on uh, in pursuit of that as well. Now, one of those things that we haven't talked about yet relates to AI. And so this year, from a workforce development point of view, we've started to focus a lot on making Zapier the place where uh, folks learn how to put AI to work for them. Really powerful thing. You know, we don't know exactly, you know, how AI is going to shape or reshape, you know, jobs in the years ahead. But we have a leading sense at Zapier that this is a skill worth developing. And we want folks to say all these years from now, long after there is Zapier, that like Zapier is the place. Like I did the best work of my life in part because Zapier helped me understand how to make AI work for me in my daily job, but it also prepared me to be kind of amazing and super marketable in all the things I did after Zapier. That's getting me inspired. Um, With AI in particular, that's clearly a focus area for you and your role and on your team and with human capital. Is that area also what you're most excited about in general for the company and its evolution in the years ahead? You know, arguably, yes. And the good news is it's not the only thing, but it integrates. So it's like not AI as like shiny object or like this thing like you do on the side. What we're seeing is that AI can help us help our customers solve some of their biggest opportunities and challenges with Zapier. You know, one of the amazing things about Zapier's products is that you can do so much with it. But for someone that's just starting to use Zapier, that can also be a problem, which is where should I start? What should my first zap, that's what we call our automations, what should our first zap be? What should my next zap be? And with AI, especially with all the data we have on how folks have had success with Zapier in the past, you could see a world where we can uh, start to recommend, right? What is that first zap? What could your next zap be? And so on. And that'd be really powerful for our customers. And what I love about that approach as we continue to work through that is that it's an integration of AI into our kind of core existing reason for being the place where we already know we provide a lot of value for customers. Yeah, your company was already doing a tremendous job of automation uh, and helping people, you know, get their time back long before, you know, the general AI came out this year. I'm excited, really excited for what's coming. We at LeadX, uh, I mean, we have easily a dozen or more uh, zaps, especially in our sales and marketing stack. So, On that note, uh, Brandon, thanks for the great work you've been doing and you're giving us time today. We're talking on a Friday afternoon before a long weekend. So special thanks for spending some time with us and giving advice and some insights to your peers. Appreciate the time. It was fun, Kevin. Have a good holiday weekend. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Culture Code Podcast. Are you looking to build, refine, or revamp a training program? We team up with companies like Northwestern Mutual, Cineos Health, and Duck Creek Technologies to roll out highly engaging training series for emerging leaders, new managers, women in leadership, high potential managers, sales enablement, and more. Check it out at leadx.org. What makes these series so uniquely engaging? 
We help you build a full system of development that leverages our cutting-edge platform and world-class training. We blend together world-class cohort-based virtual training and group coaching, personalized nudges, micro-learning, and on-demand office-hour-style coaching. Go check it out at leadx.org.